So good morning. For any of you just joining us or any of you joining us online, uh, welcome to Heart City Church. I'm Joel, and I'm glad you're able to join us. We're a new church plant in downtown Elkhart, and it's so good to be in the city rejoicing in the gospel. I invite you to turn to Luke 20 on your phones, on your devices. We also provide it in your bulletins for you. Luke chapter 20. We've been walking through the gospel of Luke for over two years now. Now, to help us lean into our text, I want you to do something. I want you to pretend you are a financial advisor, a financial advisor, and you have two clients to see today. Your first client is Bill, Bill, a hardworking farmer from Indiana. And with a smile, Bill sits down and he tells you it was a banner year. He had a yield triple the size normally he gets. So Bill inquires with you if he should invest in a couple larger barns to store the extra crop. He believes it would provide him with a steady income for the next three years until he turns 65, the age that he planned to retire. And Bill now wants your thoughts about this, investing in this, retiring early, enjoying life, and getting in some of that travel he's wanted to do his whole life. What would you say to Bill? this hard-working farmer. Would you tell Bill, congratulations, enjoy the American dream. Now Bill walks out and in hobbles in 82-year-old Betty. This poor widow, her husband died six years ago. She sits down and you ask Betty, okay, tell me about your assets. And she says, well, uh, if you went to my house, you'd find all my cupboards are absolutely bare. I don't have much. Oh, then she digs into her purse and she pulls out $2 bills. She says, these are the last $2 I have. And I feel that God is leading me to place them in the church offering box at church this Sunday. How would you advise Betty, this poor widow? Would you tell Betty that she Jesus sees her heart? And he knows she's so generous and so sweet. But then add, you really ought to use this money to buy yourself a loaf of bread. As a financial advisor, by our culture standards, who's the wiser investor of your two clients? Let me ask you a better question. Who would Jesus see as the wiser investor? Actually, we don't need to try and figure that out. In Luke 12... Jesus told us about a farmer who was blessed with a great crop. And what did he do? He built bigger barns to store his wealth. He didn't gain it dishonestly. He was a wise businessman who decided, I can retire early. Do you know what Jesus called him? A fool for laying up treasure and not being rich towards God. And today, we're going to find Jesus commends a widow who puts her last two coins in the temple offering. Please join me before we look at our text. Let's pray that God will give us wisdom at how we are to invest in our day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to a text that, frankly, we probably don't like in our current situation. Most of us are far more wealthy than about everybody we ever read about in the Bible. So we need your Holy Spirit now to help us so that we might actually invest wisely because, Father, we want to be rich towards you. 
Have mercy on us right now and help us to see Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Luke chapter 20. We're going to pick up at the end of our last conversation Jesus had, starting in verse 39. Then some of the scribes answered, speaking to Jesus, Teacher, you have spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. But he said to them, How can they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. I spent a brief time at Westminster Seminary and at Machen Hall there. There's a display with a dime and two pennies. It was donated by a poor woman who actually was on Title 19 who had next to nothing. At her death, Fanny Mulder had some clothes, a pair of reading glasses, a hymn book, two Bibles, and 12 cents. And she felt so strongly about investing what she had in the kingdom of God that she had a lawyer write up a will to send her 12 cents to a place that trained pastors. There is evidence that encourages me that there are still folks who give and live like this poor widow that we see. You see her love for God, doesn't it just make you like, oh. What do we think of these widows' investment strategies? Frankly, most of us, at least somewhere in our mind, are saying, these people are nuts. These women, they're nuts. But Jesus sees these women's acts as marvelous. What is it that they get that we don't? That our lives here and all the gifts we've been given are for investing in the kingdom of God. Last week, we saw Jesus confronted with a question. He's been having all these religious leaders coming at him, trying to knock him down. And they questioned him about paying taxes to Caesars. It was a setup question. And Jesus, well, he knocked him flat. He said, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and to God the things that belong to God. We have a a debt in our nation and to our government, to our nation and to our government, to honor, to serve, and to help our communities. But as those who have God's image stamped on us in the same way Caesar stamped on the coin, our ultimate allegiance is to God. We are to give our lives unreservedly to him during our short time on earth. That's what Fanny, that's what this poor widow get. 
Now, how, what, and where we are to invest, I believe it requires a bigger vision of God, and it also requires wisdom. On Thursday, I was at a meeting in the mayor's office, and I just so happened to be seated right next to Mayor Roberson. At the table were prominent city figures, city staff, and a lot of lawyers. I think there were five of them, I think. In fact, a couple from Texas who have won cases on the Supreme Court. The matter of discussion was the old Ten Commandments monument that used to sit out in front of the municipal building until a lawsuit came and they removed it 20 years ago. And folks at the table were appealing to the city to have it put back up there. Now, being in this room of very weighty men, I actually never spoke. But my wheels were really turning in my brain, especially because I was looking at this text, thinking about Jesus warning to scribes, religious people, religious leaders who like the best seats and places of honor. (laughs) I was thinking about my proximity to power and my Christian identity. See, politicians have power, and Christians can be tempted to trust in them. Politicians, Politicians can take faith memorials down or raise them up. They can bring justice to the weak and vulnerable. They can can determine vital ethical and moral matters in our society, matters like abortion, whether gender is fluid or not, whether we go to war overseas. Next month's election will have consequences. Politics matters. Colin Hansen writes, Understandably, Christians want to win every seeming fight for righteousness. We want to be safe. We want to be in charge. We want election victories and righteous judges and righteous freedom and growing churches and friendly neighborhoods and safe schools and everything else. In other words, we want on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew 6.10 Friends, it isn't wrong to seek influence in our community for its good. We have debts to God and Caesar, right? But we need to think long and hard about what we are to fight for, what we are to invest in, and see the danger of pursuing status and power in this age, especially if it's in order to make our own version of heaven on earth here and now. A Chinese pastor recently said, we are sojourners on earth, And things like the worship of money and secularism are trying to persuade us that we are permanent residents. When the tension eases between your earthly identity and your heavenly identity, that is the biggest threat. That's a Chinese pastor. He's more concerned about prosperity than persecution. This is a guy who wouldn't even give his name because he could be jailed or worse. But his greater concerns are prosperity and power, not persecution and poverty. He knows Jesus fashioned his church, actually, to thrive in persecution and poverty. What are we afraid of? Right after the taxes question, Jesus was then confronted about marriage in heaven by Sadducees. Now, these were the real heavyweights. These were wealthy or aristocratic religious leaders. They'd actually cozied up to Rome to maintain and get their status. And by cozying up to the power brokers, they became heavenly skeptics. They believed in no resurrection. They had a truncated little Bible, only the first five books of Moses. 
They were only concerned about the here and now. That's what this led them to. They're actually singing Bon Jovi's existentialist anthem of my generation. It's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. Jesus uh, took their little truncated Bible and showed them, ah, you've been missing it all along. The resurrection's here. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then he blew their tops because then he said that the best things of earth, sex, marriage, these things that we are wonderful gifts here. He says, oh, they're not even good enough to get into heaven. The best things of this life don't even make the cut. You realize that? Friends, what eyes haven't seen, what ears haven't heard, what minds have not comprehended, the things in store for those who love God. We cannot settle for a gospel that holds forth a heaven that's only a slightly better version of this earth. A small view of heaven will inevitably lead us to invest our lives unwisely. We can't be like the Sadducees. That's why they're so sad, you see. They have such a small view of heaven. But neither can we be like the scribes. That's the Pharisee party who have too small a view of Christ even as they offer praise here right at the end. This is token praise. They throw at Jesus. The scribes say, Teacher, you have spoken well. By the way, these Sadducees were their number one enemy. So they're so happy Jesus knocked them down. For they no longer dared to ask him any question. Chapter 20. You ever see those Bruce Lee movies where one by one, enemy after enemy comes in and Bruce Lee deals with them one after another? That's kind of how this temple scene is. Jesus has laid out one person after another. It's like a dojo scene. And now these scribes suddenly want to throw some token praise to Jesus. But Jesus knows they have too small a view of who he is, and he now hits them with a final question. But he said to them, How can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Now, that first question isn't in doubt. All the Old Testament prophesied that the coming Christ would be a descendant of King David. But now Jesus quotes Psalm 110 to show that David had a big view of the Christ. Jesus is saying that more important than the Christ being David's son was that Christ was David's Lord. That's the more significant thing. The Lord seated at God's right hand. Jesus asked them a riddle about the Christ. Why would the dynasty's founder address his lesser descendant this way? Think about it. Why would a father address his son as Lord? Isn't that strange? Think about it. Nathan, will pick on you for a minute. You are the son of your father, right? As son... You're supposed to look up and honor your father, right? Wouldn't it be strange, Matt, if you suddenly started addressing your son as Lord Nathan? Lord Nathan, it's dinner time. Please come down. Uh, would you please pick up Lord Nathan from school today? I know I'm really putting you, I'm sorry. This is really embarrassing, isn't it? But this is just how strange this question is. Jesus says, why does King David refer to his son as Lord 
That kind of makes Christ's identity sort of a riddle. It's a riddle to these religious leaders. Let me ask you, is Psalm 110 a riddle to you? Is it a riddle to you? Michael Wilcock in his commentary on this psalm says, to the modern reader, Psalm 110 is full of puzzles. To the early church, it was full of treasures. You realize Psalm 10, 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. The disciples, the New Testament writers, and even Jesus quote this psalm again and again and again. It was central to the early church's understanding of Jesus. But it's not so much today. Do you hear many popular songs using Psalm 110? I looked, I couldn't find one to sing. I think it's because preachers today want to make much of you and your life now. How's that working out for us? You see the depression rates? I work at the hospital. You know, the less we see Jesus and have a big view of him, the more hopeless we become. Friends, I'm not here to make much of you because that's no help. I'm here to inflame your hearts to see the glory of Jesus Christ, to marvel that he invested in you, to encourage your minds to read and think over Scripture, to be in your Bibles, to see that, you know what? You can escape yourself and your claustrophobic little kingdom of self, and in here you find Jesus and the vast wide gates of his kingdom that he's inviting you into. And the only way you will get a bigger view of Jesus is to actually know your Bible. The only way you won't get knocked down in this world that is opposed to Christ's authority is by knowing your Bible, spending time in it every day. We're going to be in James tonight. I encourage you to come or to watch online. You realize in this temple scene, Jesus just got blitzed by his opponents, one after another after another. How did he defeat them? Because of his power as the Son of God? Uh Uh-uh. He knew his Bible. Jesus won these battles by quoting Isaiah, by quoting David here, by quoting Moses. We need to be spending time in our Bibles every day. If you are ready, keep it up. If you're not, pick it up. Pick it up. And you can do it. You can do it. Because I see the amount of energy some of you have invested in other things. Some of you are really amazing, really talented. I see you're talented at sports, at music, you're talented at gaming, your artwork. I see you invest, and I'm just like, wow, look what you're doing. If you invest that kind of energy in seeking to know Jesus Christ in his unfailing word, you're not only going to flourish in this age and not get blitzed, you will have impact on your family and your neighbors and the people that you care about. Heart City Church, we have a real opportunity to shine in this day. A real opportunity. But it's going to require us to give to God what is God's. And that's ourselves, our time, our energy, our focus. To see his holy communication day after day after day. And trust that His promise is true, that you're going to get more than you invest. You will get more from him than you ever invest. And if you're not, 
yet a follower of Christ, and maybe you're even starting to lean in just a little bit, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you right in. I'm going to help you with this riddle. Jesus is saying David was actually given a vision of the glory of his greater future son, a son who is going to rule over the nations of all the earth. Those evil people you see in the world, one day Jesus is going to step on them and crush them and put an end to all this madness we see when you turn on the headlines. A divine son who would have all power, all glory, all riches. And yet, Jesus did not use his earthly power for gain. Write down Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and meditate on these. Go home and be just blown away by how Jesus is fully God. Put on, then, human flesh. You see servants put on a certain garb. Jesus put on human flesh and became a servant, was born of David's descendants. The God of eternity, think about it, became Jesus of Galilee, backwater Galilee, in order to invest in us. Jesus was rich, but he became poor. He had all power and could use it perfectly, but he chose to humble himself and suffer persecution, even death on a cross. And he did it to pay for your sins because you're not in right standing with God on your own. You'll never do enough good. He did it to deal with your shame, to purchase you back for God. Nobody has ever loved you more or better than Jesus Christ. You should invest in him and you will find how much he's invested in you. He's a riddle worth solving. Not that you'll ever fully unpack the mystery. But as you get a bigger and bigger view of Jesus, you're suddenly going to start to understand this widow. You understand Fanny Mulder. Jesus made himself nothing and became poor so that you could become rich. Unlike, sadly, those who make something of themselves and become rich by afflicting the poor. Jesus says in verse 45, And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers they will receive the greater condemnation. <laughs> I think the scribe saw this coming. Well done, good teacher. They just complimented him, and in return, Jesus gives them a riddle they can't decode and a public rebuke they cannot disown. Now, this is actually more addressed to me as a spiritual leader than any of you. That's why I actually encourage you to read through the scriptures on your own to come and know. And don't depend solely on me for your soul care. Know this yourselves. Jesus describes men. Men who stand in places like this. Who walk around in long robes. Love the marketplace greetings. Those actions aren't wrong. Actually, I like being greeted in the marketplace. <laughs> but what's going on in the heart is the problem. They like to be noticed. They like to be at the center of the universe. They are invested in making much of themselves. Unlike your humble selves, they like the best seats right here, right? They would be up here. You guys are doing great in humility. Yeah, they want to be close to Pastor Joel, be first in line for the Lord's Supper. You guys are just awesome. So. 
They pick the best places because they like their proximity to power. They want everything to feel on earth like their own version of heaven. So they actually devour widows' houses. Maybe today the best way to say it, to eat them out of house and home. I've seen the televangelists and the widows who give their money again and again. I've worked with them. Actually, I just was recently talking with a widow who got jumped by some young men who devastated her, beat her up badly. I was gritting my teeth while she was telling me the thought of what they were doing, the anger I had over what some young men were doing to this poor widow. You know that Jesus says what these scribes are doing is worse than some street gang robbery? Do you realize that? Because they're doing it under the pretense of serving the God who loves widows and orphans. Psalm 68. And they're gifted speakers. They get up and they can use eloquent words. Their testimonies impress. And their prayers are just a facade though. To pretend that they care. To show they care but they don't. They're only out for themselves. If there are degrees of glory in heaven, Jesus makes very clear there are degrees of misery in hell. They will be judged most severely because Jesus sees all. Nothing gets by him. Look at chapter 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. I invite you to try and enter this scene. Imagine what this looks like, this place of worship. See, in this court, there were these 13 treasury chests. They were all lined up. And each one had a large bronze funnel that went down so that you would throw a coin in and then it would rattle down into the treasury chest, the cavity below. And remember, it's Passover week. This place would be packed. Thousands of people. And Jesus is just watching. Thousands of people in line making their way, dumping in loads of money. Imagine the sound of thousands of coins going down these bronze funnels. Every time one person comes up with their money bag, it's like, make all kinds of noise. Again. And then this. Blink, blink. Jesus hears that blink, blink. He says, stop. Look at that woman. Verse 3. Truly I tell you this, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Full stop. Jesus just said, truly this woman is the best giver here. How many of you would believe Jesus? Jesus just watched hordes of money being poured in. And this little widow, and who knows how she even managed to work her way into the line to get up there. She gets up there, she tosses in her two tiniest coins. Blink, blink. And Jesus says, look at her, our number one temple benefactor. What would you say? Me? I'm like, Jesus? Miss Plink Plink there? Really? She's the number one temple benefactor? Jesus, you're saying that if we dumped out the contents of these 13 treasure chests and put them on one side of the scale and then took these two little copper coins and said, plink, plink, it would... 
Jesus, what math are you using? <laughs> what is Jesus teaching us by holding up this poor widow who's given two little coins and she's the best example of giving you can find in the worship place? Listen to verse 4. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And the Greek here literally says, out of her poverty, she put in pantaton bion, all her life. That's what it literally says. So the point is not that Jesus is impressed because she gave her last coins. It can't be because ironically, these coins are being put in to support this temple that in Jesus' next breath, he's going to condemn. This whole temple is coming down. Jesus is not saying the point is you need to invest, your, empty your whole earthly bank account into the offering box. That's not the point. The point is that Jesus wants you to invest your whole life like this widow did. This widow humbles me. What gets Jesus' attention is not how much you give. What gets Jesus' attention is when you hold nothing back. It's about your devotion to God. Consider this scene. Lines of rich, powerful people putting in tons of money and Jesus is entirely unmoved because it's all just a show to impress others. They have an abundance. Their giving doesn't really cost. It's false religion. Their giving's about investing in themselves, making much to impress others. <laughs> ah, did you guys all hear me? <laughs> it was 14 seconds long there. What a great giver I am. And in walks this poor widow who has no currency in this room. She has two coins, but this woman has no currency in this place. She's on the lowest tier. She's poor. She's alone. She's persecuted by the rich. Why does she even walk into this place? She has nothing to impress folks. She'd never come here if she was measuring herself in comparison to others. She walks into a room in her poverty filled with persecutors. Friends, she has her eyes fixed on things above, not on things of this earth. Friends, she was the one person who actually understood what the temple was all about. Why had God given Israel the temple, which had stood here for thousands of years? He gave it so that sinners, people in their poverty, could be forgiven. It was the one place where she could invest in the God that she loved. It was the only place. That's why she made her way in there. And unbeknownst to her, the true temple was watching and in just a matter of days, he's going to give his whole life for her in the same way she's given her whole life for him. All she knew was that this was the one place where heaven came down to earth, where heaven and earth met. And she was going to give her all to that. The disciples saw she's tossing in two coins. And Jesus says, no, 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 boys. She's given her whole life in devotion to me. And I want you to see that. She's your role model. I don't know what goes on in your mind when you walk through doors like this to come to a church. Perhaps you come here this morning and you feel insignificant. Maybe you've stayed at home 
because you would feel like you don't have any currency in this place. You're intimidated because you see all the gifts other people have, the abilities, their status. Who will notice you? Dear soul, that is the lie of this age. This age says that it's actually the guy in the pulpit who is most significant. Wrong. Wrong. I am not the most significant person here, and this is a proof text. It's actually the people you least expect who give their all when no one notices, and all because they have a big view of Jesus Christ. Friend, you are significant in Jesus' eyes, and he sees every sacrifice that you make. And he smiles and says to his heavenly father, see you next to him, this dear one is so, so rich. Do you see what they're doing? Do you see that the Lord Jesus, he's right here in this place and he knows what's going on in each and every one of our hearts. He is here. We need to pray for a vision of who Jesus is and also a vision of that day when he comes in glory. And he's going to bring something that is going to far exceed your wildest imagination. And I can imagine a lot. A big view of Jesus and a big view of heaven, friends, is what will enable you to invest your whole life. And then live your whole life, I think, without worry. We live in an age of so much worry and anxiety. I actually believe, closing on this, I think this woman is the freest person in the whole temple. (laughs) She might have actually walked in with a plan to just pull in one coin and then use the other coin to buy a piece of bread. But she gets to the box and she's just like, "Ah, I'm all in. I'm pushing all my chips in on Jesus. This woman is free because she sees that this earth is not her home. She's just passing through. Friends, do you see this world as like a one-night stay in the cheapest motel ever before you get to that wonderful vacation destination that you so long to see? You see that we were never meant to have power or privilege in this age because we've already received a kingdom that cannot be shaken and we're just counting down the days until we get to receive it. What a witness that would be in our day if we really took that in, don't you think? Don't you think? As our culture lost this, the gospel, its vision of the greatness of Christ, the surety of heaven, look around. We've become a society of depressed, anxious souls, trying to make much of an age that we can't control, much less can we even cling to because we're all going to die. So I encourage you, let's make our lives riddles. Riddles to those around us by how we are investing what we have in this life. At the same time, I encourage you to hand out a whole lot of clues by your sacrificial giving that they might see our Lord Jesus Christ who sacrificed himself for all, who abandoned his own privilege, that he might give his whole life as a ransom for many. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what manner of love is this, that we should be called your children, and such we are. And Father, we confess before you that we have not loved you enough. We have not loved the Son you sent, your only begotten beloved. And we have sought too much the things of this earth and not the things that are above where Christ is seated. I pray that you will convict our hearts, but also give us hope 
the Holy Spirit hope that in fact you have things, good works you've prepared beforehand for us to walk in and ways in which we can invest. I pray you give us wisdom in knowing how, where, and what to invest in. And we just pray, Father, you give us gospel opportunities where we can show people our Lord Jesus Christ. And just thank you for our privilege in participating in the greatest rescue mission in all of human history, what our Lord Jesus started at Calvary's cross. We pray this in his name. Amen.